I'm walking through my house and I see something that's broken or something that needs to be fixed. Or, you know, the other day it was a doorknob that broke. And, you know, I, I see stuff like that. When I see uh, something that needs to be fixed in the house or something on the outside, usually I kind of make, you know, make a note of it and, and I got to get that on my list of things to do. And sometimes it's something that I'm not exactly sure about. Like I had something happen a little while back here and, you know, I had a put a new fan in and then there was too big of a hole in the ceiling. And so I got to do some drywall and patching. So if I don't know how to do something, I love to just go on the internet and uh, there's lots of great sites for watching videos. Cause I, you know, how to fix something. Cause it's, I don't know, it's one thing to read it, but it's another to, to see like Bob Vila do it. It's like all different. So I like to go online and, and see how it's done. And I'll usually take some notes and then, and then I'll go and look at the project and I have an app on my iPad where I can help me put projects together. So I like to write out all the steps and I'll do this first and then this, and then I come up with my shopping list and I'm all ready to go. And then I, you know, go to Home Depot and I walk down every aisle, even though I don't need to, and I get the things that I need. No, I might need a tool and I'll need some, you know, spackle, I'll need this and that, put everything in the cart. And there's just something, I don't know about it for me, like actually walking through through Home Depot and, and getting the stuff that I need that actually makes me feel like I'm actually making progress, like, like the house is actually fixing itself somehow while, while I'm buying stuff. And I'll, you know, be driving up into the driveway and look at the house. It'll almost be like, it already looks better. You know what I mean? Cause I've, I'm, I'm on the job and getting it done and it, but, but then this is what happens. And it, um, it took me a while to realize this about myself. It's kind of like a confession, but here's what happens sometimes, not always, but sometimes I walk in the house and I have my bags of supplies. Now I don't, you know, I don't hunt. I don't go and kill things and, and mount it on the wall. So going to Home Depot is maybe the way that I do that. And I like to display, you know, what I've conquered. So oftentimes I bring it, my wife told me, I bring it and I set it on the dining room table like it's some kind of trophy. So I'll just put all my bags from Home Depot on the dining room table so that everybody can marvel at, you know, what I, the good deals I got. And, and I'll put it and I'll just like look at it and go, man, I almost feel like I'm done with the project. Just looking at all those beautiful supplies on the table. And then usually it's my day off when, when this happens. So I look at my clock. I'm like, it's, you know, lunchtime and I'm kind of hungry. So I think I'll have lunch first, you know, and so I'll make a sandwich and have some lunch. And then, you know, you already know where it's going. And I'm, I'm done with lunch. It's my day off. I had a really busy week and I'm like, you know, I should just, I should just lay down on the couch for a few minutes and take a nap. Just a short one. It won't last long, you know, and, and I'll, and from where I, if I sit down on my couch and just kind of close my eyes, I can actually see the dining room table, which gives me comfort. And I can see all the stuff on the table and just feel like, oh man, I've got, I already have so much done. And, and then I'll take a nap and then, you know, it's like getting near the end of the day and the kids are coming home and I'm talking to them. And then this is what it, it's happened. It's the, it's, it's, you know, dinner time, And my wife says, could you possibly move this stuff? Right. Cause we can't eat at the table. And so usually I'll pick it up and well, I'll put it on the um, workbench in the garage. And then after a couple of weeks, I get so tired of pulling in the garage and seeing it. Cause it's right in front of my car that I have to confess a few times. I've actually taken everything and put it in a box and labeled the box and put it up. Cause it can't just sit around. And I actually have a few projects in my garage that are in boxes right now. Now, I, I kind of did the research. Um, I bought the stuff, but I didn't actually do the project. And now I just feel guilty about it. And maybe you've done that with a home improvement project. Maybe you've done that with, you know, maybe it's a treadmill. You bought the treadmill, you were putting it together and you, maybe you were just even feeling healthier as you were putting it together. Like you could actually feel your heart getting stronger, you know? Um, but 
it's, 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 it's the same idea is true spiritually in this series. We've been saying that um, there's a tendency sometimes for us to like open our Bible and read it or come listen to a sermon or, you know, like take a few notes and think like, okay, I'm done. I, you know, accomplished. Maybe we hear a sermon and we feel a little guilty and bad about ourselves. And we think, you know, we leave feeling like oh, we made progress, but we haven't actually done anything with the word of God yet. And we end up kind of like I do with a few of my projects. I admit, like, finally, just feeling so guilty. We didn't do anything. We kind of put it in a box and file it away. We file the notes away somewhere, put it in a notebook, or just, you know, throw it in the trash. But we said from the very beginning of the series that the Bible isn't just something to know. The Bible is something God wants us to apply to our lives. And James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said, do not merely listen to the word. Do not merely listen to a sermon. Do not merely take a few notes. Do not merely read the Bible and do a devotional and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, it's when you apply the Bible to your life that God meets you there, that, that your actions with God's faithfulness intersect. And that's where you actually make progress when you apply the word of God to your life. And so in this series, we've been talking about some very specific life apps. We talked about the identity app. We talked about the confession app. That was super fun. Forgiveness app. You know, that was just, I, I, we all love that. And today we're going to come to what we're calling the trust app. And we're not, we're, we're, we're talking about trust in our human relationships, not trust with God, although we will talk about that a little bit, but we're talking about trust in our marriage, trust in our family, with our kids, with our parents, um, with our friends. Um, because what we all know experientially is that our relationships, uh, whether it be in our marriage, at home, wherever, is never any stronger than the amount of trust that we're able to apply to those relationships. Trust is so absolutely foundational for a healthy relationship. And if we're not willing to take some, some risks relationally and, and trust the people in our lives, there's no way for us then to really fully engage in that relationship as God intends. So what is it that keeps us from really trusting other people relationally? And I, I realize there's probably a whole lot of things. And um, I would just mention two of them quickly, though. They're not in your notes, but two things that make it hard for us to trust at times. Um, it, what we see and who we are. You know, all of us have, have experienced things in life that have probably made it hard for us to move forward and trust people. Like maybe someone said they were going to do something and they didn't, or someone made a promise to you and they didn't, and you had an expectation and then there's what actually happened. And um, what you saw caused you to question whether it's really smart to trust that person. So for some of us, it's what we've seen. And for some of us, it's, it's who we are. Maybe you grew up in a home where there were a lot of promises made that were broken, or you had a bad experience with a spouse or a relative or a boss or a teacher, whoever. And over a period of time, you basically learned to mistrust people. That's like part of who you are now. You know, and when you walk into relationships, you pretty much naturally begin by not trusting people. The problem is that as Christians, we are instructed clearly in scripture that we need to learn to apply trust to our loving relationships. It's not always intuitive. It's not always natural. But we're going to come to a passage this morning that makes it pretty clear. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to 1 Corinthians 13 or your iPads or your iPhone or whatever you got to read from. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, which um, is often referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. And for good reason, it kind of lays out what love is. And, and it's, a, it's a 
section of scripture that probably most of you know, you probably know it better than you, than you realize that you do. Maybe some of you have it memorized, but I, I would say probably in almost every wedding I've ever done, um, you know, they want 1 Corinthians 13 in there. Um, even I've been to a lot of uh, weddings with people who don't believe in God, don't believe in the Bible, and yet they still want 1 Corinthians 13 read at their wedding because it's a, just a great explanation about what love is. And in this passage, Paul is Paul's going to do his best to describe in human terms, which I think is probably a challenge, what is love? And so instead of giving us like a definition, a, a sentence, he gives us a, kind of a string of, of descriptive words and phrases to describe what love is. So here's what he says, and, and you're probably well familiar with this. He says this, he says, love is, what's the first word? Patient, and we all know like that's where love is patient, right? Love doesn't set a timer for the people we love. Love doesn't say, well, you have this long to get in line with what I want, right? Love lets God set the timer, basically. Let's God set the time and the time frame and we just, we can be as patient as God is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, Love does not envy. Obviously, it's hard to have a loving relationship where there's envy and it does not boast, obviously. It is not proud. A lot of this stuff we read and we're like, we don't even need a sermon on it. It just makes sense. Love, love isn't proud. It isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. It's not, it's not self-centered or self-serving. It doesn't use the other person. Uh, it is not easily angered. It doesn't, you know, just fly off into a rage. That's not love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't have a file cabinet on everybody and, you know, keeping track of everything they've ever done wrong. Uh, Love doesn't even keep a three by five card. It just doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We could probably hang out on that one for a while, but it doesn't do that. In verse six, love does not delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth. Love doesn't walk around with, you know, with people going, see, I knew you were going to blow it. And we just, we expect that. And when it happens, we're like, see, I just knew that's not what love does. It doesn't rejoice in evil and go, oh, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. And uh, it says love looks for an opportunity to catch people doing the right things living in the right way. And then it rejoices in that. It loves when it sees that happening, not when it sees people tripping up. And so Paul in verses four and five and six, he's kind of laying out these words and these phrases. I almost picture Paul like writing this, being led by the spirit and writing this down and, and thinking, man, but you know what? So how can I make this a little bit clearer? And then in verse seven, he uses four quick phrases and they all kind of have the same idea in mind here. As you look at this, he says, notice it, it always protects and it always trusts and it always hopes and it always perseveres. And, and when I read that to me, and as I read it, especially in the Greek language, it has this idea, love is trusting, love trust. And it doesn't just trust it always. It's always protecting. It's always trusting. It's always hoping. It's always persevering. It's, it's a little bit extreme in that way. And I think, you know, some people read it and go, wow, love is always trusting. I mean, isn't that a little naive? You know, in fact, some people would say that's even a little dangerous to say that love always trusts. I mean, that's, that's like unrealistic. Has love not been around the block? Has love not met the people that I've met? That love, you know, that God would say, that God would say, love always trusts. And I think Paul would come back and say, yeah, if that kind of strikes you as being a little naive, a little extreme, then you're, you're starting to get 
what I'm talking about. Love says, I'm going to do everything I possibly can within my power, everything I can to trust you, even if it takes a lot of effort on my part, even if it takes a lot of patience on my part, even if I'm going to look for opportunities to give the benefit of the doubt. In the New American Standard, in the ESV, it puts it this way. Love bears all things. It kind of carries that load. It takes, it takes the responsibility upon, upon itself. It doesn't put it on the other person. This is so important. Love takes personal responsibility for the relationship. It believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. Here's our big idea for this weekend, that when put to the test, love believes the best. When it gets put to the test, when, it, when, it's, when it's being tried, when it's being pushed, its default position is, I'm going to begin by trusting. Now, what does that mean, that love is, is trusting? And, and in this series, and especially last week on forgiveness and this week on trust, um, I, I, I got involved in a lot of conversations with individuals where I would bounce off some of these ideas, you know, because some people were like, whoa, you know, that whole forgiveness thing is kind of like, yeah, yeah, people are like, I don't buy it. And, you know, just even the whole trust thing, like I had people go, wow, that's, that even seems dangerous to teach that. And one question that people would ask is this, what does that mean that love trusts? What does love trust? Which is a great question. What exactly does love trust? Some people would say, well, love trusts love. Yeah, I don't think so. What is love trusting here? All right. I would say if we were kind of to categorize it, just to break it down, we might say, what does that mean when we're talking about believers? And what does it mean when we're talking about unbelievers? So it's a little easier on the one side. If we're saying, what does it mean that love trusts in a relationship with a believer? That's a little bit easier because as I would understand it, what love is saying, what Paul is saying here is that if I have a loving relationship with a believer, I'm trusting, I'm basically trusting that God is in that person and working in that person and that the gospel is changing that person and that God is around that person. And it means that I can trust what I'm really trusting is God in that person. I'm trusting God in that person, in our, in, in our relationship. It gives me a chance to, to, to live that out, to make choices that show that I trust God. But what about an unbeliever? And this is where, it, to me, it kind of all comes back together because the Bible says, in fact, we're to even love our enemies. So this is something we need to learn to apply to, to everyone around us. Well, what does that mean? I think as I study scripture, what it means is that I trust the God behind it all that he's behind it all, that he's bigger than it all. When he says, I, I, I need to love even my enemies, and that means I need to trust, it means that I, what I'm believing is that God knows what he's talking about, and he knows the best way to have a relationship, and I'm trusting God and his ways in that relationship. In the end, what it means is I'm trusting God in all of my relationships. And what Paul is saying about love, as it relates particularly to trust, is several things. One of the things he's saying is that, that love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. And, and in every relationship, uh, there, is a, there is a gap that we experience at times. Um, in every relationship, there are expectations. So whether you realize it or not, you do have expectations of the people around you, um, whether it's the person you're married to, in your home, with your kids, with your parents, with your friends, in your neighborhood, on a team. There are expectations, and then there's what we actually experience, right? Um, here's what you said you'd do, expectation. Here's what you did. 
Here's when you said you'd be home. Here's when you actually got home. Here's what we agreed the budget would be. Here's how much money you actually spent. And so sometimes there's no gap because what we expect lines up with what's given. But sometimes there's this and sometimes there's this, right? And sometimes you can't reach far enough to describe the gap. That, it, that, that exists at times in your relationships. Sometimes there's a gap. When that gap exists, when it happens, what Paul says is love gives the benefit of the doubt. A second thing he says here is that love looks for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. So that when there's a gap between what was expected and what was experienced or promised and delivered on, my kid said they'd do this, but they did that. My, said, my mate said she'd do this, but she did that. Or my boss, that when that happens, we get to choose what goes in the gap. Now, I know this is where in conversations, people would say to me, no, wait a minute. No, I don't get to choose what goes in the gap. They choose what goes in the gap. If they said they'd be home at eight and they got home at 10, they filled the gap with two hours. All right. Well, to say that is missing Paul's point. What Paul's saying is, no, you get to choose what you put relationally in the gap. Right. Uh, For instance, God, we've made a lot of choices in life and created gaps with God, but God has put grace in the gap. And that's the choice that God made. What do we do when people create gaps? Again, what Paul's saying here is that the other person doesn't control what you put in that gap. Which is why Paul says that in loving relationships, whether it be your marriage, your family, or whatever it is, love goes out of its way to believe the best and to fill in the gap with, with grace and to protect the integrity of the relationship. Because, of course, in every relationship, there are going to be gaps. Because, you know, you've got nobody in your life that's perfect, and you're not perfect, and so there's, there's going to be gaps. And when that happens, Paul says, love is always looking for an opportunity to trust, to believe the best, to not assume the worst. And study after study says that in healthy marriages, the best marriages out there are where both parties go to ridiculous extremes to trust each other. And so Paul says this, that love looks for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior and and that love chooses trust over suspicion. As one commentator I read this week said, suspicion is really an expression of rejection and that's how we usually experience suspicion. I mean, what do we do in relationships when we know people are suspicious of us? When you know someone doesn't quite trust you or someone is suspicious of of what you're doing or who you are, whatever. How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel good? Does that kind of draw you towards a person? Does that make you want to open up with people who are like, I don't really trust you? No, probably not. Most of us, when that happens, we kind of, we feel rejection to a certain degree. We kind of close down a little bit because we are by nature drawn um, to places, to relationships, to people where we feel accepted. That's just the way we are. That's the way that we're wired. Uh, I've never, in all my years of, of pastoral uh, counseling, I've never had a couple come into me ever where there's the, the, the marriage has been on the rocks and hurting and I've never, like, for instance, had the husband say to me, yeah, pastor, so, you know, the, the, we were in love, and then I don't know what happened, and the marriage just started going south, and it got worse and worse, and the gap was getting bigger and bigger. And then one day my wife looked at me, she looked me right in the eye, and she said to me, you know what? The bottom line is, I don't trust you. And then the husband says, yeah, and you know, there was something that clicked in me when she said that, 
And I, it, I just felt so loved and so accepted. And it made me just want to change. I don't know what it was. But as soon as my wife said, I don't trust you. I don't know. Just the marriage got so much better and, and it just flourished. And there was so much intimacy. You know, I never heard anybody say that. Why not? Because it's the way we're wired. It's a powerful thing when we communicate to someone. I really want to trust you. It's so much better than I knew you were going to let me down. I knew you were going to do it just like you did it last time. Now, I I realize, and I, I got some of this the last few weeks, that you might be thinking, well, you know, Pastor, if you heard my story, if you heard about what someone did to me or what my mate did to me and broke my trust or a parent or an in-law or boss or friend or whatever, it would be sermon over, all right? Because you would realize how stupid it is to talk about trusting other people. And I know that we all have probably extreme stories, and we'll address that in a minute, but... I don't want us to miss what Paul's saying here. Paul's basically saying the best way to approach a relationship most of the time, like the default place you should be coming from, the first approach you should take in a relationship, the best choice is to apply trust to the other person, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful, even when there's a big gap. That most of the time, the best approach is to trust but, but the question comes up, what happens when I can't? What happens in a relationship when I can't? Like the gap is just getting wider and I'm filling it in with grace and it gets wider and wider and wider. What happens when I feel like I can't trust? To which the Bible says, when you can't choose to trust, then you must choose to confront. The problem that we get into is when we refuse to do either one. I won't trust, neither will I confront. And that is really a recipe for disaster in a relationship. Jesus made it clear there may come a time in your relationship where confrontation is necessary in order for there to be health and to close the gap and to go forward. In Matthew chapter 18, in fact, Jesus talks about the first step of how this works. Um, In Matthew, he says this, if a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the, the two of you. So Jesus is talking about specifically a situation where somebody sins against you and and you know it was sin and they know it was sin. And Jesus says, when someone sins against you, the best thing to do is don't, don't, don't go talk about them. The best thing to do is go talk to them. But that principle generally applies to the idea of trusting relationships as well. If we just back off a little bit and we think about how this relates to, um, to relational gaps. I think part of what it says is if there's a gap between you and someone else and you get to that point and you need an explanation, just go talk to them. That's what Jesus is saying. Too often, though, we don't. Too often times we just decide I'm I'm not going to trust them and I'm not going to talk to them. Instead, what Jesus says is go and talk to them. Unfortunately, too often we don't talk to them. We just talk about them. Too often we just talk to other people. Well, here's what he said. Here's what she did. Here's when they said to be home. Here's when they got home. Here's what we said the budget was. Here's what they spent. And we don't talk to the person. We talk to other people about them. Or another approach is we just, we just kind of close down relationally. We just kind of go silent on them, you know. And then they're like, hey, what's wrong? You know, because they can sense that something's wrong. And they're like, oh, nothing. Nothing's wrong. Don't worry about me, right? And what Jesus is saying is the best approach is just to come to the person and say, hey, there's a gap here, and um, I'm asking you because I want to assume the best, but I need a little help now. 
I need a little clarification. I, I want to leave the door of trust open in our relationship. All right? And I'm doing everything in my power to do that. I want to protect our relationship, but I just, I need an explanation. Now, when we talk about confronting, I know that probably a lot of you are thinking, all right, well, I'm, but that's not me. I'm not a confronter. And the good news is that that would put you in the majority because most people are not confronters. I read a statistic last week that said only about 8% of the population like to confront. And typically we don't like to be confronted by confronters anyways, because they like that. And you know, that's never fun. And so the good news is if you don't like to confront, you're probably more likely to do it well than someone who just loves to kind of come in with both barrels ready to go. And, you know, just because you don't like confrontation, though, doesn't mean that you can hide behind that. Because if, if, if you don't do anything, if you don't have a discussion, and if you just let it fester and build and let the gap get wider and let it... Stu- you know what happens. Eventually, eventually you'll just blow. And when you blow and when it all comes out, it's just ugly. And it never turns out well. I mean, think about it this way. If there's, if there's someone in your world, someone that you have a relationship at home or work or church or wherever, and you create a gap with them, let's imagine you and you said, I'm going to do this and you did this. And now you've created a gap and they're thinking about you. Now they're thinking, why did he do that? Why did she do that? Why did she say that and do something else? I mean, what would you want them to do? Wouldn't you want them to come straight to you and talk to you about it? instead of talking to other people about it. And I, I mean, in my experience, what I found is usually when the gap gets big enough with someone I have a relationship with and, and I'm like guessing and trying to imagine, you know, what, why they're doing it, and what's going on. I found that almost all of the time when I go to them and say, okay, look, here's where we are and you've created this gap and I'm struggling with it. Most of the time when they give me an explanation, I, I, they usually say it and I'm like, oh, Oh, I didn't know that. And it's almost always way better than what I would have imagined. And most of the time I find myself going, yeah, you know, it's always good. If I, if, if I can't trust, it's a great thing to go and have the discussion and have it soon, have it quick and don't, don't, don't delay and don't let it fester. So what do we do with all this? I want to suggest, and in your notes this morning, I have this down at the bottom, um, five commitments for healthy relationships. And I came across this um, from, is developed from um, Dr. Charles Stanley and from his son, Andy. And these are uh, some commitments they use with their staff and with their leadership teams and in their church. And when I read them, I thought this is such a great kind of practical way to live out 1 Corinthians 13. And, and before I give you these, I just want to mention this. Um, when we think about love and having loving relationships with people, it's, it's best not to think about love as like a, a light switch that's just on or off, but better to think about it like uh, something with a dimmer switch. I, one of the questions I got asked this week was, somebody said, well, if, I'm, if, I, if I don't trust somebody, does that mean that I'm not a loving person? And of course, we know that it's not quite that simple. It doesn't work that way. Um, love, quite frankly, is something that for most of us, it's, it's more like a dimmer switch. You know, there's different degrees to which we, we're loving people around us, depending on how much patience and how much trust we're willing to invest into this relationship. So my suggestion with this is, here are some practical ways to kind of ratchet up the love that you have for the people around us. Most of this is pretty obvious based on what we've talked about. The first is this, 
based on this passage, that when there's a gap between what I've expected and what I experienced, I'm going to believe the best. So when you think about your marriage, think about your relationship with your kids, your parents, the people around you, here's a great starting point, commitment to make with the people around you, that your starting point will be when you said this, but you did that, and when there's a gap, I'm going to pre-decide that I'm going to be generous and give you a generous explanation for what you do. In other words, that's going to be my first reaction. You know, it may not be the natural reaction, but I'm going to pre-decide that next time the people around me create a gap, the first thing I'm going to do is be generous. That's the first, that's where I'm going to start. And then the second thing is this, and this is such a, I, I love this. When other people assume the worst about you, I will come to your defense. So what a great commitment to make to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, to your parents, to the people around you that you would say to them, look, when other people assume the, assume the worst about you and, and when they come to me and they start yakking about you and you, you said this, but you did that and I'm going to come to your defense. That's going to be what I'm going to defend you. Um, I think about what an incredible commitment that is to the people around you. If you said to them, look, when people come to me and because you've created a gap or they think you've created a gap and they start talking to me and yakking to me and all that stuff, I'm going to, I'm going to come to your defense. That's my default position. I'm, my promise to you is that until the facts say otherwise, I'm going to come to your defense. Here's the third thing. If what I experience begins to erode my trust, I'm going to come directly to you. Another great promise to make to the people around you. If we get to the point and the gap is growing and I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm having such a hard uh, time right now just trusting you, then I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm not going to go to my friends and put you on our little private prayer line. Well, I don't mean to gossip, but I just need to tell you about what my friend did. And they, they said this and they did this and I'm so concerned. Could you just pray for them, you know? And, and it, but this commitment is no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go directly to you and I'm going to ask you. I'm going to do it quickly and I'm also going to do it um, not with an accusatory kind of attitude, but with trust. I'm going to come to you and assume there's probably a really good explanation for the gap. And I just, I, you know, it would really help me if I knew what that was. If what I experience begins to erode my trust, I'll come to you directly. Here's a fourth commitment we can make to the people around us. When I'm convinced I'll not be able to, de to deliver on a promise, I will tell you ahead of time. So this is about the gaps that you create sometimes with the people around you. And the commitment is this, when I realize I'm about to create a gap, like if I said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be there at this time and I know I'm not, I'm going to tell you ahead of time. I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to be late. I don't think I'm going to, you know, be able to uh, meet your expectations. I won't leave you wondering, where is he? What's he doing? Why is he doing this? What's going on? I'll, I'll be progressive here and I'll tell you what's going on. So I don't leave you wondering. Again, just think about how much tension that can relieve in your relationships. If we would all practice that. And the fifth commitment is this. When you confront me about the gaps I've created, I will tell you the truth. I won't cover it up. I won't pretend it didn't happen. I won't become defensive. I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you the truth about the gap that I've created. And if I need to confess, I'll confess. If there's a good explanation, I'll give you that as well. Now I realize that, you know, there are some really extreme situations at times that, that press us in terms of trust. And I was thinking this week when I was working on the sermon, I had one of those moments where I'm, I'm like working and editing. And I thought to myself, um, I think I can say I've heard it all, you know, in terms of like all that. And then 
I did a counseling session and realized I haven't heard it all, but I hope I've heard almost all of the, of the crazy extreme things that, happen, that can happen to us relationally. But what I can tell you is this. When it comes to relationships, what I've discovered is that the overwhelming majority of people that I know and probably you know, the overwhelming majority of people in our lives want to be trusted. They, they want to be trusted. And when you look at someone and you say to them, there's a gap in our relationship, but I really, really want to trust you. What the average person feels is, and I want to be trusted. I want to be trustworthy. And Paul's general principle here is that that's how love works. It, it begins, it starts there. It begins with trust. And the best way to discover whether or not someone is trustworthy is to trust them. In fact, there's no other way to discover if they're really trustworthy. So a couple of closing questions for you, um, depending on where you find yourself in this discussion this morning. Like maybe you're here this morning and you, you realize that generally you have a hard time trusting people. And as I've been talking this morning, there's been a lot of pushback and you're like, yeah, but you don't know about him and her and what he's done and all that stuff. So here's just a suggestion for you on how you can maybe just ratchet up your uh, loving trust with other people. And, and you might even have some really good reasons and some good stories this morning about why it would just feel really naive to be trusting with people around you. Here is a good starting point, though. I think maybe to, to, to go home today and, you know, to, to go in the bathroom and lock the door and, and look in the mirror, look yourself in the eye and just, just say it. Just say, I am not a trusting person. Now, I know that seems kind of silly, but there's a lot of ways that we justify our lack of trust. And I think it's good sometimes to stop making justification and just admit it for what it is. I have a hard time trusting people. I'm not very trusting. Yeah, this has happened and this happened and that happened, but I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying, and even to say to God, you know what, God, I'm not a very trusting person. And so next time there's a relational gap, knowing what I now know about myself, I'm not going to act instinctively or intuitively. Next time a gap begins to be created, I'm going to stop for a minute. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to remind myself I'm not a very trusting person. But I'm going to follow God's word at this point, And I'm going to do my best to do something unintuitive. I'm going to apply trust to my relationship right now. Now, on the other hand, you might be here and feel like you're just generally a very trusting person. Like you pick up hitchhikers and eat candy from strangers. You know, that's just the kind of person you are. But maybe there's one person. There's just one guy, there's just one gal that you're thinking of right now. Maybe they're related to you or a coworker or, you know, but, and there's just, there's always a gap um, or there's just some questions or, you know, what people say to me sometimes, like, I don't know what it is. He's, he's just shifty. And every time I walk in the room, I'm like, you know, he's just kind of sitting up straight. And I'm like, what was he doing? And, you know, there's just something about him I can't quite trust. My question for you would be this. What could you do? What would be one step that you could take to begin to break that cycle of mistrust? Maybe you need to, to pre-decide to be generous in the gap. Maybe just realize that you've kind of got to the point where you're like, I, I'm just kind of always on them and always judging them and I need to learn to be generous and trust. And if it's not that, then it's probably time for you to have an honest 
conversation with them with the goal of not judging them or condemning them or making a point, but with the goal that you want to restore trust. And you know how different that is. It's, it's different when someone comes to us and just wants to prove a point as to when someone comes to us and you can tell they just genuinely want to restore trust to the relationship. When there is a gap relationally between you and the people around you, think of what Jesus said himself in Luke six thirty one. He said, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. When you create a gap with other people, what do you want those people to do? My guess is you want them to either fill that gap with grace and with trust or to just talk with you about it. Not to talk about you, but to talk with you. To give you the gift of trust. And if they can't, then to come to you and to talk to you about it. The trust app. It's a big one. 